What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Raised to Geek podcast, where geek is all we speak. This week, we have a flood of news to talk about, and we do a deep dive into Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, now streaming on Netflix. And by we, I mean Chris. And Don. Let's go. Music. Music. Hey, hey, we're back. Issue 17 being recorded right now. Don, what's up, man? How you doing? How was your week? Chris, what's happening, my friend? Once again, yes, it, you just said it there. Issue or episode 17. Man, these things are flying by. We're building up a nice little library, a very modest one, but everyone starts somewhere. We're just trudging along here. Uh, 17. Yeah, week was good, having a good time. You, We're survived, you survived coming back from vacay? Yeah, survived. Um, the week after coming back from vacation is always one of the worst ones because it's like you get back and you forget how to do your job a little bit. Like, yeah. what am I supposed to do here again? What is this place? What are these buttons? What is, who are you? Do I remember <laughs> your name? Uh, yeah, it's always a little bit of a jarring week, but made it through it was a short week because we were off monday for the observed fourth holiday so that's nice in itself um but yeah back to real life those holidays man those holiday mondays throw you off man i could i could do a holiday friday with my eyes closed and just be like let's end the week i like it yeah. three-day weekend but those mondays man it's because then tuesday hits and you got to do everything that you had to do on monday and you just yeah. already feel behind for the week and just ends up being a cram week, which is kind of, so by the time we hit Friday and we've had rain all week. So by the time I hit Friday, I was just sitting there. I, I had to go into work because we do our Friday meetings and me and uh, the content manager, we just kind of stared at each other in the conference room all day, just going, is it time to go yet? <laughs> all right. Like watching the clock move backwards. Like, yeah. Just get there. Yeah. We had a meeting that went from two 30 to four and we we're just like, all right, four o'clock, four o'clock. And that meeting got out and we looked at each other. And I was like, went to go stand up out of my chair and she went and closed her laptop real fast. Like we're running out of here. <laughs> like baby steps to four o'clock, <laughs> baby steps to four o'clock. That's a what about Bob reference there for those who don't know. And if you don't know, <laughs> you need to go find, educate yourself on what about Bob? Cause it uh, is a glorious, glorious masterpiece in comedy. Yeah. Definitely. And I hope to see another masterpiece today. I'm going, today's the day when I'm going to um, see Black Widow in uh -oh. theaters. Yeah, that is today, opening weekend. Uh, we have tickets here for this evening. So very excited, man. First Marvel movie in two years. So, Just about, yeah. Yeah, it's been two years, man. COVID be damned. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited for that big time. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get in this weekend as well, whether it's tonight or tomorrow, um, to get my, my Black Widow on. I don't want to resort, resort to uh, Disney Plus. I don't want to. I'm trying real right. hard not to, even though it's convenient as hell. Right. It's sitting right there. What's $30? Right Come on. <laughs> it's what I got to pay to go see it at the movies. You know, I'm going to end up paying, dropping 30 plus beer, plus pretzels, plus popcorn or a hamburger or something. I'm going to be like, live it up. Yeah. Oh man. So the yeah. Price of entertainment. I know. So I'm like $30 here, but no, I'm, I'm, damn it. I'm going to the movies. Yeah, man. Go get that experience. I want that experience. I want MCU with people around again. I want to hear the gasps. I want to hear the laughs. Like I'm, 
I'm pumped up and ready. I'm jealous that you're hitting it already here in just a few hours. But that means we're on a time crunch because Don has got to go. So we're going to jump into Let's do the show. Ready? Uh, first up, though, make sure if you want to join the conversation, you hit us up at Twitter. I don't know why I always say that. You hit us up on oh, Twitter <laughs> at Raised a Geek. There you go. And uh, shoot us an email over at raisedageek at gmail.com. Make sure to leave your name and where you're writing in from so we can give you a proper shout out. Hit us up with those reviews. We're looking for five stars on all podcast platforms. Seems like a lot of P's in there. Podcast platforms. P-P-P-P. Yeah, P-P-P-P. We'd love to hear from you. I think that's everything that we need to say here in the beginning. So let's jump into some news. You ready, man? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, first thing we wanted to talk about was Chris just mentioned uh, Twitter, and that's where we're easiestly, easiestly, I don't even think that's a word, <laughs> most most easily found. Uh, you know, we try to be pretty active on there. Uh, met a lot of cool people and different podcasts, and there's also a lot of like-minded podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, that speak about similar things that we do. One that stands out particularly to uh, to me and us is uh, Watching Comics Podcast. And you guys can find them at Watching Comics Pod. And I believe the comics is with an X, spelled with an X. So yeah, look these guys up. They do a great show. Um, talk about a lot of interesting things. I, I talked about previously their episode on the Eternals trailer, which I found really interesting. Um so recently on Twitter, they had a post talking about they wanted to do an episode um, about, you know, a mailbag episode, which is basically people asking questions pertaining to comic related things that they would want to talk about on their show. So I was like, man, that's a cool idea. Um, I, I did submit a question to them, something that I think about a lot and just was kind of curious what another show or other guys with some knowledge on it would think about. Um, the question I gave to them was, or the take I gave to them had to do with my belief that Dr. Doom is the most suitable person to be the next big bad in the MCU. This is something I have believed for a while now, ever since Thanos ended. You're always thinking like, who's the next guy? Who's the next big guy who can take on everybody? And the person who pops to the top of my mind is Dr. Doom. I mean, there's plenty of other choices there um which i'll get into but uh i i kind of followed up the question you know do they agree or disagree and then i i said well who would you think it's always fun to fan cast us mm-hmm. as fans always love to do that mm-hmm. so i said who would you guys cast as dr doom um so they they took that question and ran with it on their show i gave it i gave it a listen i know you did too yep and uh yeah they talked about it and had some interesting stuff to say so we just kind of wanted to give our thoughts on on that um so yeah to start dr doom why do i believe he's the next big who would be a good big bad for the mcu uh we all think he's going to appear in the fantastic four movie which has been you know teased to be the end of phase four i think it would be a great way to end phase four um fantastic four the first family of marvel finally back in the hands of marvel studios they haven't had a shot at it and we've we've never i don't feel at least in my opinion seen the fantastic four depicted correctly um 
and all the trust we have in Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige kind of leads you to believe they would do a great job at this. And I don't think you can have a Fantastic Four movie without Doctor Doom, at least the first one. He is like the villain for them. He's and, part of their origin. Like, yeah, he's part of the origin. He he's tied in just with all of them. Um, and I mean, you just got to have him there. So he, we all believe he's going to be the villain there. And I've always thought he's a strong enough and potent enough villain to take on everybody. Like, if you think about the MCU and who we got now, like he could stand up against Captain America, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man. Like he could be the big guy there who can definitely take all those on. Uh, he's He's got super intellect. He's got sorcery. He's just like strong enough, I feel like, to carry a franchise and people kind of already recognize him already. Uh, so the name recognition would be there for just casual fans like, oh, Dr. Doom, he's he's fighting everyone. So that's why I believe he should be the next big bad. I know on their show, um, they they kind of talked about they thought they heard Kang was the next MCU big bad, which I could see that happening too, kind of the way we're going on Loki. Um but I think Dr. Doom is still in play to kind of be there. They might even do things differently moving forward. We don't know if it's going to be one central figure who is like the big thing like Thanos was. It could be split between different guys. Um, I don't know. But I still think Dr. Doom is a great choice. Great choice for the next MCU Big Bad. What are your thoughts on some of that? I know we haven't talked about it. Too in detail much. Too in detail, no. I know we talked a little bit about Dr. Doom coming in um, on our Loki episode five recap show. So make sure you check that out for a little bit more of how Dr. Doom might tie into Loki here and be kind of the big band behind the curtain. So definitely check that out for that talk. We're not really going to hit on that too hard here. But I think Dr. Doom would be great. One of the things that I think would be really interesting is if we look at villains now in the terms of phases. So if we set up, we looks like phase four really is going to be this multiverse phase between the show, setting up the young Avengers, doing all this stuff. Well, all of that screams Kang, multiverse, this, that, and the other. Now, we know Fantastic Four is closing out this, this phase. So the introduction of Doctor Doom, if he comes there, then Doctor Doom could potentially run with being the big bad for phase five. Ah, uh, yeah, that's good You know, thought. and instead of having, you know, because we don't know when the next Avengers movie is, we don't know what their plan is for the Avengers or any big like team ups. So what if we start moving to just because I mean, phase four is long. So what if we move to just phase storyline arcs instead of multiple phases for one big storyline, kind of condense it down and say this is the multiverse phase, and they're dealing with Kang, the next one is Dr. Doom's phase. This is what we're doing. The next one can be, you know, whoever else apocalypse from the X-Men can come in and be the big bad for that phase, you know, and then you can kind of condense down a little bit and you're not tied to trying to do 20 movies again with one storyline, which is complicated, which is hard for a casual audience to keep up with no matter how hard they try, but tying it down to maybe five or six movies is a little bit more doable outside of the multiverse confusion that gets everybody anyway. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought there could because you're right about there's plenty of big bads in Marvel history who, who you know, all kind of deserve their chance to be a large scale threat. Um, you know, you mentioned Apocalypse. What if they want to use Magneto? What if what if we got a Norman Osborn that's going to pop up and he's, you know, a capable villain that they may want to use to battle more than just Spider-Man? So, yeah, that's an interesting 
thought there. I would almost enjoy that more than if they tried to like introduce Kang and then have him for phases upon phases. It's like yeah. we could have him come through and you throw, you know, a young Avengers movie or show that takes out Kang. I don't know. There's obviously so many ways and we don't know. So many ways. Speculation. But speaking of speculation, they also threw some casting ideas. What did you think about their, um, I know they said Sasha Baron Cohen was there. That was, that was their surprise pick of that. And it was a surprise to me. I would have never picked him. I wouldn't have even thought about him as a superhero. I know very little of him outside of Borat. So, yeah. you know, it's just never been, I've just never followed in line. So it was a very interesting, I can see the look. I could see the look and fitting that Marvel drama comedy thing. It's probably not a bad pick in that it's, it's left field for, in my, <laughs> that came yeah. out of left field when I heard it. I was like, what? But uh, yeah. it definitely, I could see where they're coming from with that. Yeah, that was that was a name I wasn't expecting too. I found it interesting. Um, like you, I'm not too um, familiar with his work outside of Borat. That's just what I mainly know him as. I know a lot of people like his turn, his more dramatic turns, and um, he's one of the actors in the Trials of Chicago Seven on Netflix, and that's been a very you know applauded performance. And I think I remember a show, didn't he have a, a show, like a limited series show on Netflix called Spy that um, was supposed to be pretty good and a dramatic performance from him. So it's hard for me to speak on his ability to do dramatic roles. Yeah. Um, but that is an interesting casting choice there. Um, they did have one other one you wanted to talk about. the the. the I- Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I loved. Then they kind of out of out of nowhere towards the end of their little talk, their Doctor Doom talk, they threw out uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen the second, who played uh, Doctor Manhattan on the Watchmen HBO show, and they said mm-hmm. that, and I immediately fell in love with that idea. Like, sure. I loved him as Doctor Manhattan. He was so charismatic, so likable, so just you just cared so much about him, and you just got so emotionally invested, and in it's so much of that performance. And the idea of him coming in and having that like charisma that I think you need for that role, but that viciousness, that heartlessness, that a lot of those things we saw in the Dr. Manhattan as well, once he really turned it on and you realized, oh shit, and that show kind of does its thing. Having him come in as Dr. Doom would just be, I don't know, I loved that idea. I thought that would be a great casting for that. Yeah, I, re- I really like that guy. I would have never thought of him either. But no. when they did mention that, I was like, ooh, that is cool. Um, like you said, Watchmen. He was also on an episode I liked a lot of um, Black Mirror. He was in mm. an episode of Black Mirror with, coincidentally enough, Anthony Mackie and the actress who played um, Mantis. I can't think of her name right now in Guardians of the Galaxy. So that's funny. If he was brought into the MCU, that would like all come first circle. Like, remember that Black Mirror episode they were in? Um, I think he's in the new Candyman movie too. Isn't he the new Candyman? Yeah. He, he, yeah. he is in that movie, which looks super good. So yeah, dude, I, I think that would be a great cast. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, Plus you so diversify were... the cast a little bit more. And oh, yeah. I think that would be, yeah. I think that would be aces. Those were some interesting um, casting ideas. And then it kind of made me think of my own. Um, I know there's a lot of, if you search Dr. Doom fan cast on the internet, there's a ton of names that come up. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of people have their picks like Rami Malik. A lot of people say would be a good choice and Killian Murphy. Um, 
one that I find interesting that seems to be heavy on people's list is Giancarlo Esposito. Isn't that okay. his name? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. Breaking Bad. Yeah. And uh, Better Call Saul. That's where we know him from the most and The Mandalorian. Um, I think that would be cool good because he is a menacing. We can tell, we already know he plays a menacing dude. Yeah. Um, the only issue I would think would come up with that is he's just an older guy. Yeah. I think they yeah. want to probably cast someone younger. I mean, they have to match his age, I would assume, with Reed Richards because they're college, you know, college roommates. They have to kind of be around the same age. And I don't think they're going to go with an old Reed Richards for this. I think they kind of want a younger cast that they can use a few times um, unless they kind of retcon things and make them different. So we'll see on that. My personal pick, when I thought about it and I thought about all these actors, is I would like Alexander Skarsgård from, you may know, you know him from like True Blood. He played Eric and he's been in Battleship, uh, Battleship, Pretty Little Lies. And I I like that dude a lot. I think he's like super menacing. Um, Hell, he might even be a good pick for if they want to recast Magneto. Uh, He's just fastbender does a great job so let's just talk for another time but i think that dude would be great um that's just who i imagine doing it i feel like he has the range of acting to be menacing enough and and he's just a dude i like so yeah when when i came across that name i was like yeah that that'd be a good doctor doom what's funny is you mentioned fastbender and you know he actually is rumored to be in talks for that role for doctor doom for doctor doom there's actually been like rumored you know things that he's in talks to actually be dr doom um i like uh i like what you're saying though and fastbender i think would do it well um one that i think would be awesome that i kept seeing pop up but once again it comes down to an age thing is christoph waltz right i think he would be great in that role because he we know he could be menacing and he could really knock this thing out of the park but once again it comes down to that age and at what what generation they want the fantastic four to be you know hopefully they don't go like they did with uh that new movie that nobody liked when they put him in high school that was so terrible they were so young it was so stupid oh i don't even know that one (laughs) that's me movie movie was so bad (laughs) sounds like i'm not missing anything no 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 i can't i can't imagine it was i watched it because i was like it can't be that bad and man yeah opening scene on it just there's one cool scene in that whole movie i part of me wants to watch it again just to see i loved michael b jordan in that and i mean it's it was all right but it was no good I know I know I contradicted myself with that, but <laughs> Doctor Doom, yeah, man, I'm I'm excited. I was glad that to hear some some chatter on that, and I'm glad that we could add to that conversation a little bit. And I can't wait to see what that casting ends up looking like. Yeah, I mean, we're excited for Doctor Doom. Period. So it was nice to hear another show's thoughts on that. And it sounds like they agree Doctor Doom would be a fantastic choice. Uh, we'll see what eventually happens. So. Uh, to close out this thought, just thanks to uh, watching comics podcast for, you know, talking about the question. It was fun to hear and interact a little bit. So, yeah, awesome. Follow them on Twitter, guys. Listen to their show. They got a good show. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny is last week we actually talked about Batman, the long Halloween part one and the comic a little bit. And then, of course, this week we get news on Batman The Long Halloween. You know, we could have used it last week while we talked about it, but we're going to shoehorn it in here. But they actually announced Deceited this week that they're actually doing a Batman The Long Halloween special set set for this year. So let me read you here the little press release. 
And it says, a quarter century has passed since the release of the Eisner award-winning Batman The Long Halloween from the creative team of writer Jeff Loeb and artist Tim Sale. On October 12th, 2021, Loeb and Sale returned to continue their story and show that some secrets never stay buried in Batman The Long Halloween special. How pumped are you, man? Man, this is exciting. When I saw this one pop up, the first thing I saw from the, um, of this was actually a post from Tim Sale himself on Twitter. He like reposted the story. So that's how I knew it was legit. Uh, this is amazing, man. It's like you said, uh, 25 years since Batman the Long Halloween and they are revisiting it for a 40 page, 48 page prestige comic. It's coming out in October. So right there around Halloween, which makes it even cooler. Um, I'm super pumped for this. Like I already got it on my pre-order list in my mind. I'll let my comic store know like, yes, I need this. I need this copy. Um, uh, I think it's great. I'm very interested to see what they're going to do. You got to wonder how long they've been planning it. Uh, if it's been in the works for a while, or if it's just kind of coming up now with the maybe renewed interest in the long Halloween because of the movie or whatnot, who knows? Um, the main thing that I think about is, is this, what does it mean for Dark Victory, which is a straight sequel to The Long Halloween that has already released, which kind of continues the story, but it's not like The Long Halloween Part 2. It's called Batman Dark Victory. And there's also, I mentioned before, Catwoman When in Rome, another, you know, part to the story. So what does it mean for those? Uh, is is this special going to take place before Dark Victory or after, you know, it's, it's a little confusing, but I guess we're going to find out when this comes out, but either way, I'm super excited for it and very interested in taking a dive back into the world of the long Halloween, because as I've stated many times, it is my favorite Batman story of all time. So this is great news. Now, what was haunted night? Haunted Night um, was a collection. It was released before The Long Halloween. It was like three short stories that Jeff Loeb and Tim Stale did, um, like standalone adventures that was just collected into The Haunted Night. But um, it's not like, yeah, it's not directly connected to these. It's just like more Halloween-ish tales from them, Batman. So, Okay. Yeah, this is going on my pull list without even thinking about it. Next time I'm going to go, it's like, hey, can I add that and get me a copy? Because, uh, yeah, I, I need I need it. I need it. And I'm super excited, and I'm glad we got to talk about it this week. Definitely make sure if you missed last week's episode, you check it out. We talked all about Batman, The Long Halloween Part 1, DC animated movie. And we um, are anticipating, eagerly anticipating, the drop on July 27th of Part 2 of that, which we will definitely cover here on the show somewhere at some point as we were looking at our calendar yesterday and realized we got a lot of stuff coming out and where to fit that one in but we are pumped to watch it so definitely check out all of that uh next up was going to be we're going to talk about the boys which we have not talked about the boys too often on the show because once for whatever reason don and i have not watched season two yet loved season one haven't gotten to season two there are all kinds of casting and stories coming out about season three which i'm assuming is probably going to drop end up sometime this fall so kind of waiting for that announcement and we'll see what kind of where we want to go it's an awesome show over on amazon prime kind of the uh secret hub of superhero shows that are just awesome that nobody wants to talk about so yeah 
they did announce this week that they actually have a digital mini series that's set to fill in the story between seasons two and three. So I'm going to read you a little thing over by Adele Anchors on IGN. So definitely go give her a click if you would like to help her out. But uh, here's here's what's going on for the boys. Uh, Entertainment Weekly announced the launch of the fictional newscast Seven on Seven, which is coming from the show's Vought International Corporation. The miniseries aims to build out the universe of the satirical superhero show to deliver story tidbits and tease what's to come in season three of the Amazon Prime series. Uh, the first episode is out now, and uh, the Vought News Network's episodes of Seven on Seven will be released on the 7th of every month, and each will have seven individual news stories per newscast plus a commercial. Additionally, the uh, VNN anchor Cameron Coleman, portrayed uh, by Matthew Edison, will also appear as a VNN anchor in season three of The Boys, further integrating the miniseries in, in with the flagship show. I do know how to read. So... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah man they kind of putting together kind of a wink and a nod satirical fake news show to kind of talk about everything that's going on in the world of the boys to kind of tie in and fill in the gaps of what's going on between seasons two and three I'm not sure if they're doing a time jump or what they're doing but is this something that we're going to have to remember that this exists before after we watch season two and make sure to catch up on this before we watch season three yeah it sounds interesting to me um I like when shows do little like fill in kind of a things. It's like a fan service for fans, like giving you a taste of things to come or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, just something extra for, for being a fan. And I'm sure people who enjoy the boys are going to love it. Uh, it's cool that it's being done as like a newscast. Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that I'll put this on my thing of, list of things to watch after definitely after watching season two which we've kind of been as you said procrastinating on for some reason i don't know why i really liked season one um and season two has been sitting there for a while we just got to get to it and once we do i'll definitely give this web series a look because it sounds like you know something we'd want to watch so yep. cool what are your thoughts on and, it you, yeah you're it gonna watch it it's not, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll remember it's here. It seems like they're going to drop an episode on the seventh of every month, which then makes me figure that they're going to do seven of those because the whole thing was seven, 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 which probably yeah. has something to do with something that they got going on for season three. So I would imagine that they would do seven episodes in seven months, and that puts the boys premiere in January. You could be onto something there. So it still might be a while before we get boys season three. I know they're only filming. They're still currently filming. So yeah, we'll see what that takes. That was another show that was affected by COVID, you know, a lot of delays and everything. Um, so it sounds like we have time to watch, consume season two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you watch season two and you're ready for more boys content, it's starting. And the first episode of this web series is out now. And it looks like we're going to get one every month on the 7th so stay tuned august 7th will be another one so definitely make sure you hit that up if you haven't watched it yet i'm sure it's probably going to be good right on all right man well to switch gears huh uh uh pun intended um, we're going to talk about the nintendo switch oled model which was announced this week which is available october 8th 2021 at a price of 349.99 so it's 50 dollars more than the switch that currently exists for the past, like, I feel like a year, everyone's been talking about the Switch Pro. 
to come out to kind of match up with the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. And uh, this kind of wasn't it. They were everyone was looking for you know beefed up specs and new chips and 4K output when it's docked and fancy screens and all kinds of stuff. And that is not what we got. We got the OLED model, the OLED model, which has a seven inch OLED screen, which is a gorgeous screen. It's what most of us have on our phones and had had for a few years. It was also on the PS Vita, which is a gorgeous screen. It has a wide adjustable stand instead of the kickstand. So you can find your best angle. It has a built-in wired LAN port so you can hardwire your switch instead of using Wi-Fi. It comes with 64 gigs of eternal storage instead of the 32, and it has enhanced audio on the speakers. So that's pretty much, it just kind of really seems like if you're a portable switch player or really plan on only using it in portable, that's where most of the upgrades, nothing really changed on the internal um, so it's really kind of just a switch with a fancy screen and some better speakers. How, do, how did this news, I know you were kind of almost kind of waiting to see what they were going to announce because you didn't want to buy a switch. And then all of a sudden them announced this new pro or the super Nintendo switch, which I love that name. And I wish they would have went with that or I guess not for this, but we got the Nintendo switch OLED model. How'd that, uh, what'd you think of that, man? Yeah, I watched the uh, video they put out promoting this and everything you just described accurate um biggest thing biggest takeaways yeah no performance tweaks really the the rumors of a super switch quote unquote were exaggerated or maybe they were just invented by fans hoping that's what this would be mm-hmm. but uh it's it seems just like a a small upgrade rather than a complete system overhaul like new system uh I feel like we're kind of in the halfway point of the Switch's lifespan anyway. So this is just a kind of a freshen up to me, it yeah. feels like. Uh, something for people to buy maybe who don't already have a Switch. Um, this would make sense for me to buy as someone who's wanted a Switch and just hasn't gotten it yet. But I don't see the appeal for Switch owners who already own it is it worth it to buy the whole system over again just for the few things that it's going to be and all these enhancements just kind of seem like a pro for people who use this more as a portable system than those who would use it at home on their tv which to me that's the kind of player i would be i don't have many reasons to have a portable system now in this day and age like there's not many places i can imagine myself taking it and playing it outside the home mm-hmm. um but i think the switch now currently is what 200 dollars. so this is or no 300 dollars. Yeah. it's like 299 so this would be 349 so it's only 50 dollars to get all the improvements like the better screen um the kickstand the clear audio all that all those improvements so, I mean, if I had a choice between getting this and the one previously, I, I would just get this one, the OLED version. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't say it's like super exciting news to me. It's interesting. And I don't know. I don't know what else to say. about as, it. As someone who who was genuinely waiting for this announcement, because you've told me before, like, man, I'd kind of get a switch when we were watching E3 and you're like breath of the wild two might be time for a switch. But then it was, you know, you even said, well, if they're going to do a new one, I want to wait and see what that is. Now, is this enough of a new one to make you lean towards pulling the trigger or does this fall under this category of, well, maybe a super switch comes out next year with breath of the wild two, 
I can wait another year. And I mean, would you rather drop the 350, get the OLED edition and kind of have one now? Is it enough? Or would you rather wait and spend maybe 400 to get a 4K Super Switch? Yeah, that's kind of like the issue we always run into with phones too, you know, when a phone's been out for a a year, a few years, you're like, well, when's the next one that's going to come out that's going to make this obsolete? And like, am I going to buy this thing? And yeah, you buy it August 1st and September 1st, the new one comes out. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the situation too. So you never know when the good time is going to be because they don't put their, they don't lay their plans out that far in advance so that you know, like, oh, well, I don't even have to buy this thing because the next thing is going to be out such and such time. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know the OLED, um, I don't know if I'm going to rush out and have to have it immediately and like pre-order and like get it on day one. I didn't do that with the switch. I don't think I'll necessarily do that here. Uh, but it is something interesting that I would have to look at for purchase in a time span, like to be determined. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's okay. kind of where I sit with it. Yeah. Just curious, as you said, like, you know, I already have a switch. So, I mean, outside of me needing to buy another one for whatever reason, I have no need for this. I do a lot. I do a lot more docked. I go back and forth. Um, if I needed to buy a new one, I'd buy this one just because it's the nicer one has a little bit yeah. more storage and the screen that will screen will be gorgeous. So just kind of depends, but I'm not, uh, wasn't the news I was waiting for. I was really hoping for that Super Nintendo Switch and 4K and beefed up graphics and speed and stuff. I thought that would have been nice, but I'm sure it'll be here before we know it. I wasn't excited about the idea of a chip shortage making it extremely hard to find, which I have no idea what this is going to do for this since we're in this time of scalpers and chip shortages, making it extremely hard to find PS5s and Xboxes at the moment. So time to tell how that all shakes out. That's affecting everything, man. Like even the automobile industry I saw is like laying people off because they can't get the damn chips. What is going on with the chips? Yeah, yeah. COVID. Damn you, COVID. Yeah. Or at least that's the excuse everybody wants to give right now. Uh, Last up, sticking with kind of video game news and TV shows before we dive into our Resident Evil Infinite Darkness coverage, is we did get an announcement this week that the first season of HBO's The Last of Us will reportedly include a total of 10 episodes at an hour in length. And they did start this week production on that uh, Pedro Pascal and everybody tweeted out some images of them on set. And that show is a go, probably, I would imagine, for release some point next year. Man, I'm so pumped for that show, man. Ten episodes at an hour length. Uh, man, I'm, I'm yeah. ready, man. Yeah, you and me both. This is probably my most anticipated um, upcoming project that w- is in production. Uh, being as big fans of the Last of Us series as we are, this is like super exciting for us. Uh, that so the ten hour or ten hour long episode announcement is welcome news to me uh shows nowadays you you never know how many it could be it could be anywhere from 12 to down to eight so 10 seems like a nice number to me i like that they're an hour long we expected as much being an hbo show mm-hmm. um mostly i just can't wait for the rest of the world who is not familiar with the last of us to like be able to fall in love with this story because i feel like it's a great story and if it, it's this show is anything like the games i don't see how it's not going to be successful and people aren't going to love it um I mean, we're pretty sure it's going to be because Neil Druckmann is still involved. 
heavily in the show and he's like the mind behind uh the games yeah so that's a plus for fans of the game um pedro pascal and bella ramsey as joel and ellie we talked about it it's interesting casting but i think it can work like you said the the actor gabriel luna who plays tommy tweeted out that picture Mm -hmm. of them on set so they are filming um we already talked about merle dandridge reprising marlene which is fun for us uh yeah man super excited about that show and can't wait for it yeah and i know we were talking about it just privately in our text when we were talking about this news and man yeah it's just going to be fun to be ahead it's like Mm -hmm. we were talking about you know the the red wedding aspects of this the game of thrones you know these moments that happen within the last of us and if they do it right it's going to be one of those things where it's like man people are going to be go crazy when this happens and people are it's going to be when this happens wait until this and the story is filled with those kind of moments and if they do it right which i imagine they will it's just going to be it's going to be the talk, man. <laughs> yeah, there, there's parts of this show which we're not going to give away. Parts of this game that it could like break the internet moments uh, yeah. that this could have if they if they follow the the blueprint that the game set out. So we're excited. So now, do you play The Last of Us for the third time before this show comes out? Um. We'll we'll see when we get there. There's so many other games I have to play. But are you, uh, that are you on my telling me when you see that first trailer, you're not going to feel that itch to put that game in? It's possible. It's very <laughs> possible. Uh, I mean, why not? It's it's one of my so good favorite games of all time. So um, yeah, I'm, I could see it. I'm waiting for that PS5 patch for The Last of Us Two or that director's cut, and I'm, yeah. I'm diving back into that one. I can already feel it. I'm just waiting for that performance. That performance, uh, I know they did a, like I think a sixty frames per second like performance patch, but I'm kind of yeah. waiting for that maybe new content or just that upgrade mm-hmm. as as we're getting a lot of director's cuts on PS5 from the big PS4 games like Ghost of Tsushima and Death Stranding. So waiting for Last of Us Two director's cut, and I'll jump into that. I'll pay I'll pay the ten dollar upgrade charge to uh, for some more Last of Us Two content. You heard him, Naughty Dog. Curse is ready. Bring it on. Do it. You want my $10? Don't make it be more than $10. All right. But uh, we told you we had a lot of news this week. A lot kind of was going on that we wanted to talk about. So hopefully we, you know, you learned something and you're excited about a lot of this stuff just like we are. But Don, this week we wanted to talk about the Resident Evil Infinite Darkness Netflix show. We didn't know what the show was going to comprise of. We just knew it was part of the Netflix anime lineup. Um, We found out that earlier this week that it was just going to be four episodes, basically 20 to 25 minutes an episode. So we figured let's just watch it all and let's just talk about the whole thing. So there will be spoilers for Resident Evil Infinite Darkness now available on Netflix. So make sure you check that out first before we dive in. So pause. Pause it. Watch the show. It's not long. Um, Then get back to us. Here are our thoughts. And we're back. All right. Welcome back, everybody, from watching Infinite Darkness. <laughs> uh, so I think I want to I wanna kind of catch people up on the Resident Evil timeline because this doesn't tie in with anything. It's not a freestanding movie or show. It is completely canon and like in with the video game Resident Evil lore. So if you don't know any of that, I guess hopefully maybe 
you didn't pause this yet because maybe you want to hear this part (laughs) (laughs) before you go watch it. But um, so I kind of want to go through just some highlights of these characters, Leon and Claire, who are the main protagonists of this game or this show and kind of what they've been through and where this show falls in line with the current canon. You ready for a quick, 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 brief, extremely brief history? You ready? Give Give me the history lesson. All right, so Resident Evil as a game, and like I said, there's so much more to this, but just the basic idea of part one was that you have the Umbrella Corporation that, whether it's on purpose, whether it's accidentally, released a bioweapon that started turning the people of Raccoon City into zombies, and it becomes this big zombie thing covered with a uh, government cover-up. So you kind of had all of that come through in the first Resident Evil. So then when we hit the second Resident Evil, we have Leon, who's the protagonist of this movie, and Claire came into uh raccoon city kind of getting ready to claire's trying to find her brother who was in the first game and leon is a cop who's shown up for his first day of work and there's zombies everywhere so they're trying to just figure out what's going on within that realm so you just kind of introduce these characters in resident evil 2 and continue the story of this bioweapon an evil corporation the umbrella corporation and their use of bioweapons then we moved on to uh resident evil code veronica which was a ps2 game And in that one, Claire was the main protagonist and she waged a war against Umbrella in an effort to disrupt their ongoing experiments with the T-virus, which is the virus that uh, creates the zombies and the monsters and what Umbrella has been working towards. Uh, Leon next showed up in Resident Evil 4, which is actually one of the most beloved Resident Evil games, I think. Um, It changed the way that games, action games were played with that third person over the shoulder perspective. It's been ripped off numerous times and everybody loved a little bit more action oriented as opposed to the survival horror aspects of the first few games. Um, And he was now Leon has been promoted from just police raccoon city police officer to special agent who is now tasked with rescuing the president's daughter from an evil cult. And that was what that game was kind of in it. And, and that storyline beat really actually ties in a lot to infinite darkness. So it was definitely a good thing to know about. And then there's all kinds of craziness in that one and more T virus and just kind of government cover-ups. Um, after that, we had the animated movie. That's much like uh, this one called Resident Evil Degeneration, which um, shows up in the timeline with Leon and Claire, where the pair teams up to try and stop the G-virus, a mutation of the T-virus, from getting in the wrong hands in an effort to fight bioterrorism. So that was kind of a movie that falls into canon after Resident Evil 4, and then enters Infinite Darkness. This is where this one falls in, so it's kind of a prequel to Resident Evil 5, and Mm -hmm. a sequel or follow-up to the story that was started in resident evil 4 and the movie degeneration so now we are here at infinite darkness now on netflix four episodes 20 minutes now you can pause us go watch it oh <laughs> uh, yeah so what did you good think rundown of- good rundown thank you thank you thank you i know there's tons and if you're a resident evil like guru you're probably like well you didn't talk about this and you didn't talk yeah. about that and i there's so much in it a lot of ways it's an extremely convoluted and complicated story. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I just reinstalled with Resident Evil 1 on my PlayStation the other night, like ready to play and tempted Don into uh, screen sharing and <laughs> passing, trying out the PlayStation past the controller and see if we can play Resident Evil 1 because that was something that him and I did as kids with our other buddy, Corey. Quite a few times we played through Resident Evil 1 together. So to me, Resident Evil is always kind of a co-op experience. Get some couch co-op going on. 
it's funner with friends because there's some scary moments. You need that support system there with you. You do plus the plus helping solve the puzzles. It's, it's, it's a great series for that, uh, to have someone, you know, backseat gamer. Absolutely. But we're here to talk about infinite darkness. So Don, what did you think about the Netflix show now that you've watched all four episodes? Uh, yeah. Resident evil, infinite darkness. Like you said, the movie does take place between resident evil four and five. Uh, it introduces some side characters that are along for the ride here with Leon and Claire. Um, and we'll talk about them as well. My thoughts on this, my thoughts on this as a whole is this would have been better served to me just to be in a movie. I'm not quite sure why Netflix chopped this up into four 25 minute episodes. It kind of doesn't make sense. It's not, it seems, I don't know what purpose that served really. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. We'll we'll see what you think about that too. But um, this movie had movie. See, I'm already calling it this movie. This series, this show had some high points. Um, but I think overall, just my opinion is it did miss the mark in a lot of ways. Um, for fans of the game, it kind of seems inconsequential. Like things don't really happen here that would matter much because it's like the outcome was already predetermined. Like we don't, we already know nothing's bad could happen to Claire and Leon because they've already been in future things, <laughs> right? You know, so the, the suspense isn't there that you think something could happen to them. And also I, I kind of viewed this as um how is this accessible to new viewers? And I really don't think it is. Um You heard how much I had to go through just to kind of, and that's that that was barely scratching the surface of any of those games like that is just literally the front page top sentence of what that game is about each one i mean then you have a 12-hour game of conspiracy theories and twists and turns and multiple corporations and multiple viruses i mean there's tons of detail in there yeah if if i think the show kind of expects you to viewers to have played resident evil 2 and then also be familiar with resident evil four and even five and that is a very niche audience to be reaching for for this um so if they're trying to get new viewers to like maybe this is their first experience with resident evil i don't think they did a good job of of doing that um i think they might have been better served if, if we're doing this whole resident evil relaunch you know they got a live action show coming or a live a new reboot movie i'm not sure which way but i know they have that coming and they want to do more of these animated uh shows i feel they would have been better served presenting us with possibly an all original resident evil story than something that takes place in between two games that you might not know and characters who are connected with each other from a video game that you might not have played yeah does that make sense no it makes absolutely all the sense (laughs) yeah so um this movie has some pro i keep calling it a movie this show has um a handful of pros to it but i feel there's more cons to this that Mm kind of um i didn't enjoy and we'll get into it more when we talk about it but then that's my first impression what was yours I agree with you in a lot. It was, I thought it was first, it was weird when I went to go look for it and couldn't find it on Netflix. 
Usually yeah. something that comes out on release day is right there front and center on your feed, especially since the majority of the stuff I watch is extremely similar um, between anime, animated cartoons that Netflix puts out and just sci-fi horror stuff that I normally watch. So why it wasn't like, watch this now, and they wanted me to watch some weird reality show about hot people, it just blows my mind where their algorithm <laughs> went wrong. Um, so it was kind of weird that I had to go search it to find it. And yeah, I agree. This this really was just one of their animated movies that they cut up in four parts. That there was no benefit to that. There was no cliffhangers. There was no, it just, here's the movie, 20-minute movie, which makes it basically a 90-minute movie. And it was just chopped up in four parts just to do it. And if you're not going to release them weekly, what's the point? It was a waste of time. You could have just dropped it as a movie and called it a day. So I don't know unless they're going to drop more episodes, but this had a straight-up ending. So mm-hmm. it's not like I'm clamoring for more episodes because it's over so right. why they decided to do it as episodes is baffling to me um it didn't need to be and that's why we didn't even take it like it was we just tried to watch it like we did with a movie and that's how we're going to talk about it because it just that was just so weird um, <laughs> and yeah and i agree i mean like and that's why i felt the need to preface what the timeline was because this is not for just casual people you can't just sit down with your 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 girlfriend your boyfriend your partner your whatever and say watch this resident evil let's watch resident evil and you're like oh me me jovovich and doing this that and the other and think it's going to be this freestanding thing and it is not it is tied into the video games which is a lot harder to do so you know you know netflix has a live action show that's about albert wesker which is one of the main game's antagonists and his twin daughters and that's supposed Mm -hmm. to come out later this year and then there is another live action movie with uh robbie amell and a couple other people that i don't know set to come out this year i believe november of this year um yeah yeah somebody's gonna play play leon in there leon's gonna be in it so they may retread to some some characters and stuff but yeah they're rebooting it i did yeah. yeah. And they seem to be rebooting it and really wanting to do the, even just looking at the cast of this and the characters, they have Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, Claire, um, Leon is in it, Wesker. I mean, they really seem like they're going to, and it even says the Spencer Mansion, which seems like they're going to actually do the first game cr- properly since the original movie with, like I said, the Mia Jovovich one really had nothing to do with the video game. They did their own thing and good for them. They made a shit ton of money. And got six movies out of it and became one of the highest grossing video game franchises turned movies ever. So, I mean, good for them with what they did. I enjoyed those movies in the stupid way that they were entertaining. But once again, coming back to Infinite Darkness, I don't really know who this is for outside of, like I said, us. And even us who love Resident Evil games and have played through most of them. This is still just kind of like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, it's straight up for hardcore Resident Evil fans. I I don't see this being consumed by the masses in any way like you said you could barely find it um now i know it hit top 10 now because i saw it today when i went in last night or today to i think yesterday afternoon when i went to go finish the last two it did say you know top 10 so i mean it got found by the people who wanted to watch it but yeah i don't see it going too high on that list or be sticking no. around too long <laughs> i don't see it sticking around very long on there either yeah there's there's nothing in it but I, I enjoyed it. It was as much as I enjoyed the previous CGI, you know, Degeneration and Vendetta and, you know, the Resident Evil animated movies that I've watched before. It's just another one of those. So if you enjoyed those movies, you're going to enjoy the hell out of this. If you did not enjoy those movies or not interested in them, you're not missing anything. There you go. Yeah. 
I found I found it enjoyable enough, but I got a lot of pro. I just had a lot of problems with it myself. So we'll we'll see. Yeah. So so the way that this show is broken down and how we're going to talk about it, Infinite Darkness was kind of had three storylines that kept weaving in and out. So you would get a piece of a story, and then they would cut, and then later in another episode, or in that episode, or later on in the film, you would get a little bit more of that story. So they kept starting scenes and then ending them. So it was a little jarring at first until you realized what they were doing. And then once you realize what they were doing, you're like, okay, I kept having to rewind it because I'd be like, wait, what did they say? I had a hard time focusing on a lot of things that were happening in this. I kept having to rewind it to go, wait, how did they get here? When did they get on a submarine? When did this house set on fire? What is going on? Like they just kept jumping around drastically. So it was very confusing. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Confusing is a word that fits. (laughs) So I was like, okay, but how we're going to break this down is we had three storylines. We had Leon storyline, Claire storyline, and the Mad Dog storyline, which was kind of the main crux of the show, which was kind of based around what happened in uh, Penimstan and what, you know, what the bad guys and the good guys had to do about that and kind of government cover-ups as is normal with Resident Evil. So we're going to kind of touch on those storylines and then talk about some of the big action set pieces of each episode. And we're going to take it home from there. So does that sound good? You want to start with the Mad Dog storyline since that's kind of the main story? Yeah, go for it. So the Mad Dogs is where we got some interesting new characters, or at least new to me. We had uh, Jason and Shen Mei. And uh, Jason was part of like the Mad Dogs, you know, kind of like a Black Hawk Down Thing. There was a civil war in this country called Penimstan, and they kind of sent in this elite unit because there was a downed helicopter, much like Black Hawk Down, and they went in there to save somebody, and they ended up being exposed, and the village was kind of like infected, so then the U.S. government said, just bomb them all, kill everybody, and so this group of people ended up being exposed to this bioweapon. And the zombies were fighting. They all got bitten by zombies and became this whole big thing. And the government tried to just wipe them all out. Then they weren't able to. So then they ended up having an inoculation that kept the infection at bay. So then they were able to go through and continue. became kind of like a wet work black Mm -hmm. ops government group that would go in with their superpowers now that they were infected and wipe out contacts for the government and then the government decided to turn on them as governments like to do in (laughs) stuff like this stuff like this and so then you kind of had jason and shen may who were the last remaining people from those teams kind of out getting their revenge and trying to expose this cover-up that was happening on at a government level and the government was trying to you know use this use to have a bioweapon and figure out where, where they were going you know typical evil government stuff yeah um how that storyline would you I mean, did, that, <laughs> did i hit most of that they had a little bit more twists and turns yeah. in it than i just gave it but that was the gist yeah that was the gist of it i don't know watching through the scenes with that featured the mad dogs you brought up black hawk down but i'm also like what, what kind of war movie am i now watching right uh like is this a is this a call of duty movie or is this a resident evil movie uh, I know some of the later games like Resident Evil 5 and 6 got more military and action based, but this was like straight up when in my mind, when I um, like imagine Resident Evil, I the military action is not the first thing that comes to my mind that interests me the most about the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a lot of the smaller scale stuff. 
not even smaller scale, but you kind of know what I'm trying to say. Like yeah. the ha- the haunted mansions and the locations and Raccoon City and things. That's the kind of things I like the most. Um, so yeah, those scenes kind of just were a little felt a little bit off to me. Um, a lot of the stuff going on in there was, you know, hit to you as flashbacks and learning new information later. Um, so it was all very confusing. You kind of had to be really focused to know exactly what was happening there. Um, some of the action, the main action sequence, I think of with the mad dogs was when they're all in the room fighting the zombies coming through, Mm -hmm. uh, busting through. And I found that scene a little off-putting just because of the the lighting like the quick camera shots like if you're somebody who's got epilepsy or seizures <laughs> that's not the scene for you because there's a lot of flashing lights there yeah um that could kind of just you know make you take a step back um i like the introduction of jason jason and shen may though they they yeah. kind of like contributed to the story um we'll talk more about them as this show progresses. They're more important to things that happen later on and some, some reveals and things that happen later on in the show. So they're interesting. Everyone else of that group is kind of inconsequential uh, except for who is later when we flash forward to the future, like the white house scenes, the secretary of defense, Wilson. Yeah. He was kind of in charge of this mad dogs group back then, back in the day. Uh, he was like the general in charge of them, and he has a lot to do with this movie as well. Mm-hmm. So we're introduced to him. Um, I don't know those the, that that story was integral to the ending, but didn't do a ton for me. Um, no, yeah, no, it it was fine. I enjoy. I did enjoy once I've realized what they were doing. I did enjoy how they weaved in and out of it, and kind of would start a scene and then they'd finish it later. And, you know, I know like when you first kind of really got introduced to Shen Mei when she walked in on the Mad Dogs after they were all attacked and then she kind of started talking and then they cut the scene. And then when later in the next episode, when we came back to that scene, we got to see the rest of it and saw how she ended up joining the uh, the, the the Mad Dogs in a way, trying to find since her brother was one of them who did die or not die. They captured him and they were trying to keep him alive to find a cure and stuff like that. So I thought it was a, it was a good storyline to to run through. Um, the show, but it was very jarring at first when I didn't realize they were jumping. <laughs> I kept having yeah. to rewind to go, wait, what just happened? Once I yeah. realized now we were jumping around in time, then I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Now I'm caught up with what they're doing. Cool. But yeah, the action was cool and it was a lot more military based. Uh, we did start the whole show with a White House zombie invasion. We had Leon and being summoned to the White House by the president who his daughter, Leon, saved in Resident Evil 4. And they never really said it, but they kept showing pictures of, like, his daughter. Like, you're supposed to know the president's looking at a picture of Ashley, his daughter, who was in Resident Evil 4, that Leon saved. And But they never actually said, Leon helped save my daughter. It's just they just had images, and you're supposed to just go, oh, yeah. So if you're, once again, a new viewer, you're not going to catch any yeah. of that subtext. This is another example of the show expecting you to know what's going on because they're like, well, if they're watching this, they must have played the game. But yeah. like, what about people who didn't? Or <laughs> do they care about that they don't know what's going on? Uh, that's just was one of my issues. I could have sworn there was a part where the President Graham did say um, to Leon something about saving my daughter. I'd, I'd have to relook again. Yeah. But uh, again, that's knowledge that only Resident Evil 4 players who have finished the game and played the game would know. Another, you know, complaint I have, but yes. 
But then, yeah, we had, I enjoyed the opening. Uh, like I said, Leon was summoned as well as Jason from the Mad Dogs were summoned over to the White House to uh, basically deal with a hacking situation. They had all the top government agents. Was Shen Mei in there with? Shen Mei was yeah, one. Yeah. So it was Shen Mei was one, Jason was one, and Leon was the other. And they were summoned by the president to break yeah, into there, this hacking situation. There was one other agent in there too, the curly haired guy who, uh, I don't know his name. He was like the weakest one. I don't know if you remember. I don't even remember him. Okay. Yeah. That's, that proves how unimportant he was. He was, he was the one who later on in the scene, who's the first one to get attacked by like the press secretary. Oh yeah. 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 And saved. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty weak character. I think like not great voice acting kind of cheesy too, but yeah, just a point I wanted to make, but I did enjoy the, the white house zombie invasion. Um, They kind of had the, lights all off um when the press secretary showed up and he was all bitten and then he died and then they were like oh no man he sat up so fast it made me laugh like he was yeah. laying on the ground dead and then he was just like Bleh! and he started running at him made me laugh um <laughs> yeah. how fast it was i thought that was good i i really enjoyed which i thought they didn't actually use it as much as they needed to when they were trying to get the president out and they had the secret service all covering the president and they started running down the hall and one zombie ran at them and they shot him in the head and then they just kept running down the hall unopposed. And I was like, why don't you have waves of zombies running down mm-hmm. the halls at this group of Secret Service agents trying to keep the president safe? I mean, how cool could that scene have been if you would have had Secret Service getting hit by zombies and getting taken off and the president, and, you know, you end it with just like Leon, Jason and the president or just Leon and the president to bust through this door. You know, I mean, like that could have been a really cool action run down the hall scene that they really did nothing with. And when it started, I was like, oh, shit, here we mm-hmm. go. And then all of a sudden it was just one zombie and that was it. And I'm like, oh. That was anticlimactic, yeah. um, but I, I really enjoyed that. That was a big action set piece for episode one was the White House zombie invasion. Yeah, this first 25 minute episode was probably, I think, the strongest of the whole show mm-hmm. to me, mostly because of this White House scenes. Um, it had a lot of callbacks to traditional Resident Evil moments that we're mm-hmm. used to. Like this was the most zombies I feel like in the show, probably um, the dark corridors the 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 suspenseful scare zombie scares that you're used to uh there was a scene in there where the camera's behind jason as he's going around corners i was like oh man that's like lifted straight from a game that's great yeah um i liked i like so i like that a lot uh the whole the whole white house sequence um yeah funnest part of the show to me but yeah and then we had claire who kind of came in as she's a reporter of some kind researching the civil war in Penhamstan and trying to figure out what happened to the the mad dogs and what government cover-up is there so she was at the white house ready to talk to i think the press secretary or somebody to try to get answers to find out what's going on so we f- find out that she, that's really all she's doing in this first episode is just she's just there as they walk past when leon walks in she's there and they kind of just hey what are you doing here yeah they they acknowledge each other briefly something again like viewers who aren't familiar with the game be like how do these two know each other oh they just do okay cool um but all the shit they went through together in resident evil 2 just like they're kind of just like hey what's up nice to see you uh <laughs> just found that a little funny but uh yeah so yeah. then kind of throughout the show where claire is kind of our reason for learning more and more about the mad dogs and what happened as she's researching and she's figuring out that all of the mad dogs except for jason and shen may have 
basically killed themselves or, you know, that she kind of figures out that they're inoculating themselves to keep this virus at bay and they're infected and there's a government cover up and then the government gets mad at her. I guess Claire was uneventful in the show. Yeah. For a movie that was billed to be mostly a Leon and Claire shared lead story, like Leon, let's face it is the lead of this movie and Claire is more so a, a plot B uh, device and just kind of there to advance the story in small ways but this is definitely not her movie um which is disappointing if you look if you want to look at it that way or not mm-hmm. it depends on how you look at it but um yeah i felt definitely felt like her side of the story was kind of muddled underneath everything and she was kind of an afterthought yeah. so yeah uh, so then we kind of, as we moved through the show at that point, we had Claire figuring out what happened with the mad dogs and Jason and Shen Mei. Well, at, when Leon starts uncovering more of what the mad dogs and he realizes Jason is inoculating himself and he realizes there's actually more to Jason and Shen Mei than he originally realized. Um, they ended up on a submarine. I really have no idea how they got onto a submarine. Yeah, it, it all they left the goes- White House. And the next thing you know, they were just on a boat. Yeah, it kind of all goes pretty fast, and you don't know how they get places eventually. It just kind of happens. Uh, episode That was in episode two. Yeah. Uh, they get on the submarine. The things I liked the most about episode two, I would say, I guess the this had the the one of the scarier parts of the whole show. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if scary is the right word, but just like horror-ish. Mm-hmm. kind of thing skin crawly skin crawly yeah with the zombie rats which was an interesting addition to the show hasn't been used in the game uh so it was a, kind of an original idea that we got to see play out on the screen i thought all those scenes were pretty cool yeah uh with with leon escaping the rats on the submarine um and it, this episode also contained to me like the show's realist twist like the real twist of the show is that jason and shen may are kind of like playing their own game and playing against their original mission mm-hmm. and you know they go on to kill the crew in, on this submarine and that's the one thing in the show that i didn't see coming immediately uh so i thought that was cool and interesting twist it's unfortunate that it was done so early the only thing that i didn't see coming so yeah i don't know that's yeah. kind of episode two in a nutshell to me yeah i didn't yeah you realize they were kind of on their thing i still don't really know what their plan because they they wanted to blow up the sub and kill a crew and make it look like like where did the rats come from that was like there's a bio attack did they set the bio attack and if they were just going to blow up the sub what was the point of the bio attack exactly that's <laughs> a lot of things that go unexplained in this and like well, why is this happening? That's to me the biggest thing about this show is going through watching it. I ask myself so many times, like, well, why? Why yeah. are they? Why are they doing it this way? Why is this? This that doesn't make sense to this. That and that's another thing. Like, yeah, where did the rats come from? And if the plan was just to kill the crew, why did we go through the whole rat thing? Like, yeah, they literally blew up the sub, which killed all the rats, which also would have killed the crew. So if you were going to blow up the sub, once again, I don't know why they were on the sub to begin with. They were like, I think they were headed to China, supposed to be headed to China or Beijing or something to do a covert mission. Okay. uh, That they were sent in to do. That's what I got out of it. Um, Okay. So because we had, huh? No, I was going to say at the core of this show, it's, it's more of a political thriller, I guess. 
than a zombie show, honestly, to me. Yeah. So we haven't even really talked about it much yet. But this whole show is like a lot of commentary on relationships with America, with other countries. And I felt like we got a lot deep into that. And that so this submarine part was part of it, it was like they're going on a mission to uh, China or Beijing or Penangstam to do the biddings of this secretary of defense who is evil and has different ideas and he's trying to change the president's mind and make the president go to war i feel like that was a lot of this show um yeah i don't know we'll talk about it more later but go on <laughs> so yeah it, it, that was kind of weird but then we kind of hit at that point the uh, leon left with the mad dogs jason and shen may to figure out why while he kind of knew that they were up to something and saw the blood on Chen Mei's knife knowing she killed the crew and kind of was like what are these guys up to so I'm gonna figure it out and then when he questions Jason they end up getting in a big gunfight and and then at that point Leon kills Jason but then I thought it was really weird because they shot him they showed him dead but then the rest of that episode whenever like Leon was talking with Shen Mei or trying to figure out what was going on they were all talking like Jason was still alive and I was very confused by that because at that point we haven't seen him. We didn't see him get up. We didn't know anything about him. They just kept saying, Jason, this, and even Leon, who know he shot him and saw him dead, was still talking about Jason like he was alive. But how would he know that? And once again, it was another, why is he saying things? Yeah, that's another piece that doesn't quite fit. If he would have thought he killed him, he would have been like, he's dead. I killed him. We yeah. were led as an audience to believe that was the case. So why didn't they convey that in their dialogue with each other? Just After very, the fact. Very strange. So yeah, it was it was a weird take on that but then you know then we realized when we learned the reveal of shen Mei and her brother being part of the mad dogs and her father trying to put all his money to try to find a cure to save their brother and then their house exploded and i don't know who exploded their house they just kept saying jason so i guess jason blew up the house but i thought jason was dead so it was once again confusing <laughs> Yeah, Jason blowing up the house. Who knows why? I don't know, man. Episode three was dull. And I had, and well, and it's funny because then they did a different scene where they showed Claire, I think, getting kidnapped or something. And uh, then all of a sudden, like, Leon is carrying Shen Mei out of this burning house. And I'm like, wait, when did the house even burn down? I had to rewind it again just to see the explosion because I watched it, but I didn't remember it 30 seconds later. I was like, wait. When did this house burn down and who burned it down? And then they're watching and they're like, Jason. And I'm just like, wait, the Jason you shot in the chest and they showed last time we saw him, he was dead. Like, yeah. it was- <laughs> didn't make sense, man. Episode three to me was pretty dull. Uh, a just bit. a lot of, a lot of like tying in. Not, I can't remember an action sequence in episode three at all, except for, you know, the house burning down and, and Leon busting in the room with a gun. Um, it might there might have been a scene in there a mad dogs flashback in there it was the zombie fight that you talked about with the epilepsy okay yeah that it was so that one was an episode that's three. episode three's action sequence yeah but just a lot of i don't know story i feel like wasn't going anywhere it it didn't have much to say i don't know i don't know man i this was as you said it, this was kind of their 24-esque we're gonna we're gonna talk have secretary wilson who's going to trying to start the war with China and he has, he's trying to change the president's mind and president's looking for more peace and wants to step in and try to end the civil war in Penimstan. And uh, we had secretary Wilson who's trying to change his mind. And that was kind of the main takeaways from episode three. Okay. Uh, and then episode four, we hit all the reveals where we kind of tied together all these stories that we've been talking about. Um, we realized that Jason was still alive. This is when we get the reveal that he's still alive, even though he's been causing chaos the whole time and the, all the other characters seem to know it was him 
Uh, but then Jason morphed into a giant bio monster, bioweapon, and he ends up attacking Secretary Wilson and bites him, and Secretary Wilson runs off. And then we get basically the most video game-ass video game section where we just have uh, this giant, like tube where they had all these experiments and for some reason i think jason pulled a switch so acid started rising up from the ground and all of the experiment bioweapons started just ejecting themselves into the acid and basically the whole operation was being destroyed and jason was obsessed with wanting to go to a meeting he was like i need to show the world me and then it'll change everything and i'm like why just because you're a big monster, but this is the world where we've already seen big monsters. There's already been Raccoon City and zombies and bioweapons. And like, we've already seen that as a world. So you busting in and saying, look at me. I don't know what that's exposing. Yeah. So it was a weird like obsession that he had with wanting to. Yeah. Like just, he just kept trying to climb through the ceiling going, they need to see me. They need to see me. And I'm just like, once again, why? And if this, and if this has been his plan all along, why has he been injecting him and himself with the stuff to keep it away? Right. That we saw in an earlier episode, like Leon is peering at him, like spying on him in a room where he's injecting himself with the the, the vaccine or whatever that keeps it out of his system. Yeah. If he just wants to expose himself as this giant monster, why hasn't he done it already before? Uh, it doesn't. It didn't make any sense. I mean, I called. I called Jason as the villain of this show from episode one. Yeah. You can just like tell in his demeanor and the way he talks, like eventually, Oh, he's the bad guy. That's just how this kind of yeah. works. There, there was no like uh, intrigue or mystery to it. It wasn't a, a big surprise plot twist at the end that he was a villain. I was like, okay, I knew that. Right. Um, and I, I don't understand if they wanted him to be sympathetic to us or not. Yeah. Like he, he was, is he the bad guy of the show or is he a guy we're supposed to be like rooting for? Because it's not his fault that he became the bio weapon. He was a soldier who got bitten. He doesn't have bad intentions, but he's the, this huge monster that Leon's trying to kill. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Leon never makes it clear why he's trying to kill him. Is it just because he's a monster and you got to kill all monsters, but he, I don't, I don't know, man. And then like, also in this episode, another thing I didn't understand was like Jason, after he is the bioweapon, just kills Shen Shen. Yeah. And that made no sense. Like she she's she has nothing, she's no threat to you. She's actually like on your side. And she said, She you're a hero, you saved my brother. And he's like, Oh, and he breaks her neck. <laughs> like what <laughs> like what is what is that about? Yeah. It, it just none of none of that it's just a very clumsy way to like kind of wrap this all up i feel like um i don't know how you felt about all those things but okay same we just had this room filling up with acid we had them jumping from level to level once again everything that you just said is 100 percent accurate uh the only thing you left off was claire was duct taped to a chair for some reason yeah claire found her way into this yeah and she was able to just rip through layers layers of duct tape without even trying she just was like rip rip okay i'm free and she jumped around and got hit by a giant beam and just kind of was like "Ugh." yeah and later on in this you mentioned that the um secretary of defense wilson got you know effed up by jason's bioweapon like he bit his neck later at the end of this episode we find in a scene that he is infected uh, with something and he's in some room and you'll get into that a little bit in a minute but my thing when thinking back to the, the whole mess fight that was going on in this big chamber like he got bit and released and found his way out 
<laughs> so he found his way out while he's bleeding from his neck, dying. Why didn't Jason Monster just follow him? Because clearly there's an easy way out that this injured, wounded man can find his <laughs> right? way out. Jason's like busting through the ceiling and he can never seem to get to the top. He just keeps jumping and jumping and ripping open the ceiling. Like, dude, you should have followed the guy out of here who just had right. his neck almost bitten off because he yeah. clearly right. just found the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, his, his head's barely hanging on and he just, yeah, limped out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh, messy. It was messy. messy. It was just, it, it was a very video game, just boss battle. You had the yeah. big monster. You didn't. You just needed to kill it because it was a monster, and you had acid filling up the room. So you had to keep getting higher and higher and kill the boss before you ran out of room. And that's pretty much it. Was, like I said, very video game esque. It was fine for what it was, but once again, Leon just kind of kept jumping around. From he need he was just always was where he needed to be to move the plot oh, yeah. forward. And it was it was interesting, as you just said. We did get Secretary Wilson one more time at the end, basically. Um, holding his wound and some mysterious man walks in and hands him a briefcase and Wilson takes the inoculate and injects himself to kind of stave off whatever infection was in the the bite. I mean, I don't know how he still survived the severe blood loss from buying, having your <laughs> neck bitten in half, but, um, and then they showed the case and it said try cell on it, which is a big part of resident evil five and part of the whole bio conspiracy. So it's right. just kind of saying, Hey, this is where once again, being a prequel to, Resident Evil 5, which was all about Tricell, it just kind of is a wink and a nudge and setting yeah. up if they want to do more movies before 5 of where we're going and, you, you know, aiming towards maybe more reveals about that organization. But yeah, ultimately it came down to Secretary Wilson who wanted to start that war to basically inject everybody and spread his bioweapons and infect everybody. And then he had the only cure that people were going to pay top dollar for so he would be rich. And that was the overall plot of the whole thing. <laughs> classic resident evil villain rich super rich guys just trying to make money off of pharmaceutical weapons and whatnot just more of that so yeah and then the president was happy he didn't do what he was supposed to do i guess and uh leon watched the plane take off and some dude was just you're a hero whoa that was 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 some hero ass shit you did there yeah, that was the wiener from episode one, the other agent. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was so, was I, I was like, who is this dude? He came out yeah. of nowhere, and yeah, he had the cheesiest, he was like, you're a hero, Leon. That was some hero-ass shit you did there. So that made me laugh. It was, you know what, and I know we talked a lot of shit about it, and I know we said this, it was, it was entertaining. I got through it. It was fun. It was very Resident Evil-esque of just not everything making sense. Once again, you have to ask those questions. I don't regret watching it. I don't. Uh, it was. It wasn't as bad as we're making it sound. It, the action was cool. The animation was cool. It just is that B level. As Resident Evil's kind of always been known for is that B level cheesy. Whoa, Jill. You know, I mean, Resident Evil One was is notorious for the bad voice acting, and they kept that going for quite a while. Of just we're going to be cheesy. We're going to be over the top. And supposedly even Resident Evil Eight Village that just came out. That's what one of the things people loved about that game is that the dialogue is so cheesy and so cringy that it just becomes a B movie. So, yeah, we can make fun of it and things don't make sense, but it was still fun. I still enjoyed watching it. Um, But yeah, if you don't know anything about the Resident Evil like lore, you're going to be completely lost. Yeah, I can agree with you. Um, The problems I did have this movie and there's with this show, there was a lot of them. But in the end, it's it's a Resident Evil property that I enjoy the series enough that it gave it gave me enjoyment just on that level. 
the animation I thought was pretty good in a lot of spots. It seemed like it was a little spotty sometimes, but especially sometimes at the you end. Look, yeah, you, the acid look, climb got real sloppy. Yeah, sloppy at some points, and but for the most part, watching this, it looked fun. It looked like cutscenes from a video game. Uh, so if you're a fan of Resident Evil, I'd say you'd enjoy that. Uh, all in all, it was it was a uh, you know a decent watch w- with a lot of problems. That's just basically what I'll say. Uh, I enjoy playing the games better than the movies, just yeah. to me. Um, that's just my favorite way to experience Resident Evil is playing the actual games. They're so much more fun to me than these animations or even the live actions. Um, but I enjoy them all as a whole just because I'm a fan of the universe. Um, so, yeah, I'd say for if you're a fan of Resident Evil, give it a shot. You may love it. You may hate it. But... uh Hey, it's more Resident Evil content for us to talk about and just experience. So yeah, I, I had fun with it, and it, it it's really giving me that itch to play those games. And I'm just like, which one do I want to play? And I'm pumped up. And I, do I jump into Resident Evil Two Remake? Do I jump into Resident Evil Three Remake? Do I go back to the first one? Do I skip all the way to Village and play that since we just played through Seven? I'm I'm super like I got that itch. I'm like I want to play some more Resident Evil now, and it, a lot of it is because of this show because it is extremely Resident Evil E. So I was uh, I'm pleasantly surprised by that, man. So I think I had a good time. I think as long as you can turn off your brain a little bit and just watch some animated action, if that sounds like your thing, then this show is definitely going to be for you. If you're looking for high quality storytelling that'll change your life, this is not that. But you should have known that Resident Evil wasn't going <laughs> to be that. <laughs> yeah. And as far as picking out a game to play, I don't think you can go wrong. So yeah. us being fans, anywhere you want to jump in, is a good spot i'd say yeah i look forward to that but definitely let us know what you thought of resident evil infinite darkness so shoot us an email at raised a geek at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at raised a geek let us know what you thought about resident evil infinite darkness now on netflix i have a feeling that it's not going to be the last time we talk about resident evil on the show since we've already talked about it quite a bit because that is kind of what we've been playing and what we've been watching so i hope you guys enjoyed listening to us talk about all of the news, all of the Resident Evil stuff. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to uh, give it a listen. Hopefully we kept you entertained on your commutes or your workouts or wherever you listen to podcasts. But that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm done. And thanks for listening to the Raise the Geek podcast. Where we all speak geek. <laughs>